Yeah, all right, I'm back. Um, this is Manuel Ophet and this is the Unsuckable Podcast. And guys, I said one thing when I left, one thing only, and that was not to let Philippa host. And of course, you guys let him host anyways. Uh, it wasn't an absolute disaster. Well done, Filippo. Thanks for jumping in and taking my space. How's it going, buddy? Doing good. And it was an honor to replace you. Uh, I think I was the best host in Unsackable Podcast's short history, the very short history that we had. The competition was just me and you, though. Yeah, okay. Um. <laughs> I, I mean, we still need to give Adrian and Josh an opportunity eventually. And then we'll let everyone else determine who's the best host here. We should do a Twitter poll. Those are always uh, very accurate, right? Um, somewhat, <laughs> somewhat, somewhat. Depends on depend. So what I've noticed with Twitter polls, it depends on which account tweets it, right? If I tweet something, it's gonna go biased towards one side. If you tweet something, it's gonna go biased towards another side. It's all about who follows you. That that's yeah. what I noticed so far, but. Happy you're back, Manuel, and we got a lot to talk about today. We got a lot to talk about. Um, not a lot of topics, but the topics are pretty in-depth. So, yeah, let's bring in the rest of the group. Um, Adrian Sosa. Adrian, how's it going, buddy? It's going great. It's going great. I also thought that, you know, Filippo did a pretty decent job. And like he said, once Josh and I have a crack at it, we'll get that poll going. And then I think that's the end of the Unsackable podcast. We establish who the best host was, and then it's over at that point. But um, beyond that... Happy Valentine's Day to everyone. And all we're going to be talking about today are footballers and their wives and girlfriends. So everyone is going to really enjoy this episode, I'm sure. Okay, so you pretty much already ruined it right there. I did, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. When you look at the the stat, you will see it full on listeners until this point, and then we'll just drop. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, if you're still listening, I'm going to tell you right now, we're not going to talk about footballers and their wives and girlfriends or female footballers and their boyfriends and husbands um want to want to make it even right um yeah let's let's bring on josh as well josh how's it going so you're, you're telling me we're not going to talk about Acardi and, and wanda today because I, I i had so many notes i was i was excited this was a valentine's day special manual what, are those two still going <laughs> we're we we're never know now i'm not allowed to talk about it but i was totally <laughs> focused on candy west last night okay that's fair that's fair that was fun you, you watched the super bowl last night i'm assuming i i just i only for Kanye west Ah, fair, fair. I was I was more in it for for Eminem. I just had a nice flashback of my childhood with with a lot of them. So it, it was it was fun, but uh, didn't have a vested interest in it. To to be honest. Yeah, here's my take on the Super Bowl. I think nobody really watches it, um, except for the halftime. Yeah, I mean the the that's fair. The commercials I expected yeah. more. I I just the only thing I can remember is that investing commercial, and it made me physically upset. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. It's also someone... crazy how much they pay for those commercials. We got to yeah. talk about that. Lots of eyeballs on it, right? Everyone wants to watch the halftime show. Yeah, it's still insane amount. I don't know. Uh, okay, but let's go back to soccer here. Yeah, um, let's do go back to soccer. Um, Filippo, still heartbroken. How are you doing, buddy? Um, Club World Championship. Penalty decides it. My homeboy, uh, Kai Havertz, with the winner once again. You know, Kai Havertz likes to score the, score the winners in big finals. Um, scored the winner in the Champions League. Scored the winner in the Club World Cup. Um, how are you doing, buddy? A little bit heartbroken still. It was a pretty tight game. Yeah. The So, a little bit of perspective for everyone in history. I, I've been waiting my whole life to see Palmeiras win the Club World Cup. And that is a big thing in Brazil in general among Palmeiras fans. 
And we failed in 1999 when we lost to Manchester United 1-0. And then last year, we thought we would have an opportunity, even though last year we weren't very confident that we could beat Bayern. But we were expecting at least to play Bayern, right, and see what happens. Uh, but then we lost in the semifinals to Tigres, and and that was disappointing. And as a Palmeiras fan, me and many of the other ones thought we wouldn't really get another opportunity anytime soon. But then the year goes by, and we somehow win the Libertadores again under a Bel Ferreira ball. And we go to the final against Chelsea, and Chelsea looked very beatable the game before, right, in the semifinals. So there was a lot of belief among the Palmeiras fans. Me and Adrian even talked about that in WhatsApp, and we mentioned how Palmeiras could win this. And... We saw that in the game, that Chelsea was the better team, definitely the more more skilled team, more technical team. But the game was wide open. Uh, any team could have won this, and it was a pretty crappy way to lose, right? A, a handball with five minutes left in extra time. We were getting ready for penalty shootouts already. Even Chelsea was at that point getting ready for penalty shootouts, right? Chelsea was preparing for that, and then that came out of nowhere. And it was a fair PK and a fair win for Chelsea. And And... I know some of the pundits in the media were saying this trophy doesn't mean anything, and I think we can address that as well. But this trophy means a lot to everyone. After all, you have to win your continent to be there, right? So that's my take on it. Yeah, I'm not happy one bit. I don't know when Palmeiras will get another opportunity, but I'll pass the mic back to you, Manuel. Yeah, Adrian, uh, how did you see the final? And of course, I do want to talk about whether or not this is an important trophy or not. Um I have some opinions about it, but I think first, Adrian, what do you thought? I I mean, pretty much what Filippo said, it was a very, very tight, tight final. And we knew that it was going to be like that because Chelsea struggles in the attack. Annabel Ferreira will, I mean, will put the, his house in front of goal, car, he'll build a wall in front of the goal. He'll do anything to play tight defensively and then try and hit them on the counter, which... You know, it almost worked. I don't know how many times, and I can't remember the particular players. It might have been Vega. It might have been some others. But how many times Palmeiras looked like either they were going to win the ball in a promising position in midfield or they were going to counter efficiently. And then they do stuff like they would take a really heavy touch way too many times or they'd show way too much of the ball to the Chelsea defenders and the chance would go begging. And if you just thought if they had a little bit more of quality in the attack, I could have easily seen Palmeiras win this. But, you know... It's unfortunate. It's a really heartbreaking way to lose, especially, you know, <laughs> five minutes away from penalties. And my team, Benfica, has also lost to Chelsea when we were minutes away from extra time as well in, in the Europa League final um, with that Ivanovic header that just went in right at the death. So Chelsea has a knack for it in these in these big finals to get these goals right at the end. Yeah, they do. Um, we all, of course, remember the, the final in Munich that they stole with a last-minute header and then... Um, Got very lucky that Robin missed the penalty in extra time um, to win their first Champions League trophy. Um, that's just how they do it. I mean, they're very good in finals. And I think that is actually something that's an attribute to win finals in that way. You know, you shouldn't you shouldn't say that's lucky. I think that that is a mentality thing. Um, Josh, what did you think of the final? I thought it was a, a pretty decent match to be honest i mean it's it's always hard because the european teams are expected to win and like we kind of addressed in in one of the other episodes was that palmeras has, has never won it there was that that narrative around their rivals like sao paulo and, and santos and corinthians all of them have won it they palmeras hasn't and then with chelsea the, i think the last european team not to win it was back in 2012 it, it was chelsea so that's the only trophy that was in that they, they needed to complete 
pretty sure every single trophy they could possibly win. So there was a little bit of pressure on this cup, whether you think it's a crazy competitive match or not. And then the match, I enjoyed it. I mean, it, we uh, got a little insight from Filippo on how Plameris was going to set up. I thought it was very similar to what it was. I thought it was a little heartbreaking. Luan had a pretty brutal game to forget. I believe he gave away the penalty, got the red card as well. Um, it, it was it was frustrating, frustrating all around for them. But uh, I, I like the competition, and I think that probably down the road, it'd be pretty interesting to see if they can expand it a little bit, just to have that little bit more interest, interesting I guess, appetite to it, just considering that Chelsea only played two matches. They literally get a semi against a team that they're very heavy favorites against, and then, of course, the final. Yeah, I think they they have already spoken about expanding it quite a bit. I think it was to 24 clubs. That would be a fun way. That would be a fun tournament if they changed it to 24 clubs. We'd probably get at least four to five European teams. We would get a couple more CONCACAF teams. Hopefully, an MLS club sneaks in. If it's four spots for CONCACAF, I'm assuming one MLS club can make it. A couple more South American, right? It would be nice to have like Palmeiras, Boca, River, and then maybe a Flamengo or some other random team. So, yeah, if they expand, it probably would mean more and make it more exciting. But regardless of anything, it's a fun competition. And when someone says it's not worth anything, or and I, I can't even remember the name of the guy, the Scottish guy from ESPN FC, he was saying that it was ridiculous how the Premier League is more important. It's not more important, man, because Manchester City's leading the Premier League. Chelsea, to make it to this tournament, they had to beat Manchester City in the Champions League. That's how you get to the FIFA Club World Cup. So that's all I have to say about it. And in South America, it means a lot. I think in terms of money, it's definitely not that high as a Champions League, but it's a big tournament. It's a trophy. And we could see the Chelsea players were very, very happy about it. Yeah, it was probably uh, Craig Burnley. But uh, yeah, no, like, I know. I, I feel like he was trying to say that I mean, Chelsea need to focus on on top four, but I, I think the situation that he was talking about was completely wrong because they're comfortably in a top four finish, and this is a a competition that they've never won. So I think that take was a a little a little dated. But I I, I heard that they were going to expand it too, and I'm pretty sure that it's already like you said, it's already confirmed. But I'd be really interested because I haven't looked too in depthly on how they're planning on on upping it. But I'd assume like maybe the Europa League winner would get in there as well. Um, it, it'd be a cool opportunity for I, I just think for even like us, like we're obviously all based in North America, Canada, the U.S. I don't get to see like Boca play too much or any of the Brazilian sides. I think it'd be pretty unique to have like a little bit longer of a competition, have access to it somehow. I don't want to get into too much details, but I think it'd be very unique because there's a lot of amazing clubs around the world. I think it'd be a good opportunity to just kind of put them on the global market right there. Yeah, so the, the tournament was supposed to be expanded for the summer in 2021. And uh, of course, covid like everything else um, has meant that it things got postponed. Infantino has recently said that the expanded World Cup is club World Cup is still on and um, it's going to be 24 teams. The spot allocation is the following. Asia will get two and a half teams. Um, Africa will get three. CONCACAF will get three. South America will get six. Uh, Oceania will get half a team. So I guess they will have a pre-playoff of Asia to determine that. UEFA will get eight. And then, of course, the host nation. Um, and it was supposed to be hosted first time in China in July 2021. That's off now. But the host nation, in this case, the Chinese Super League winner, right? Those would have been the, the teams. So 24 teams. Um, controversial in some ways. because I was going to say that too. I was going to say yeah. that too. Yeah, controversial because, of course, it's a competition for the Champions League, right? And 
this goes back to um to Champions League, but also the 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 Copa Libertadores. And so of course there's a lot of back and forth between UEFA and uh Comnibol and um FIFA, the three the two big continental um federations and FIFA fighting. Um I think the other continental federations probably welcome this because it get, gets their teams a bit more spotlight. Um I think once it's in, teams will probably embrace it, to be honest, because it's a good way to make money. I think FIFA um, got something like a billion a billion euros to do this tournament. I just want to point out one real quick thing um, about whether this tournament is important or not. And then, Filippo, I see your hand signal. I know you're eager to jump in. But uh, for me, it's always the way the players react. And I think the fact how they love the fact that they can get to wear that little golden emblem on their, on their shirt. Whether a trophy is important or not is always determined on how the players react to it. And the players love it, especially the South Americans. It's very important for them. And I think that is something that you should never underestimate. Um, the Premier League is a national championship. This is to determine the best team in the world. Is the process to determine the best team in the world flawed? I think so, but... You know, nothing is ever perfect. This is the best way to do it. The best way we have right now. So, I don't know. I think it's it's always sad when commentators think they have to demean something. Anyways, Filippo, I interrupted you here. What do you think? Oh, no, that's fine. I agree 100% with that, right? We can even argue that the World Cup is a flawed way to determine which national team is the best one, right? We can even argue that. Uh, not always the best national team, at least the one we think is the best, the one that wins the World Cup. What I wanted to say is that expanded format, based on the amount of spots that you you said, it looks like South America and Europe would have 14. Is that correct, combined? So if that's the case, Manuel, I think what's going to happen is we're probably always going to have a semifinal that's probably going to be just European clubs. And maybe a South American club will sneak in from time to time. But it's probably going to be every semifinal of that tournament just four European giants and then, like I said, randomly a Flamengo, a Boca, River, Palmeiras will sneak in into the semifinals. Unless it's bracketed. It? Yeah, it depends on how they do the bracket, yeah. But it can be tricky. Otherwise, it's just going to become an extension of the Champions League, right? It's going to become mm. a super Champions League with just the best. Something like that. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, I think we should move on, guys. Do the Champions League preview, and I'm going to go for the first game straight to Filippo Sporting. Uh, sorry, not Filippo, Adrian. <laughs> uh, you can tell I'm still on holiday mode. Um, yeah, Sporting versus Man City. Adrian, um, I know Sporting is not your club, but this is still a pretty big fixture for Portuguese football, isn't it? Because it's been a while since uh, Portuguese teams have made it to this round. Uh, well, I mean, Porto consistently makes it to the round of 16, that's for sure. But Sporting, in particular, they haven't made it to this round since 2009. So it's it's huge for them. Um, and, you know, they're a very good team, defending champions. They have Ruben Amarim, who we've spoken about at length on this podcast, about how sought after he is in the rest of Europe, how sought after he's becoming in the rest of Europe, I should say. And it's it's justified. Because as we saw this past weekend, I don't know if you guys saw, you probably saw the viral moment of Porto and Sporting just clearing the benches, having a massive brawl on the field at the end of the match. But Sporting were 
in Porto. They're beating the defending, or sorry, the team that is at the very top of the table, Porto. They were unbeaten at that point, still unbeaten, I should say, because they did not lose. They ended up getting an equalizer very, very late, but Sporting were a man down. Um, they were winning 2-1 away to Porto. It was very impressive, and then <laughs> they ended up drawing. Now, what do I think of their chances against Manchester City? I think that what you're going to get out of sporting is a very tight defensive game. They have the best defense in Portugal. Um, they did not have the best defense in the Champions League as Ajax, I think, put, what was it, nine goals past them in two games or something like that. But they still, they made it out of their group ahead of Borussia Dortmund, which I don't think was necessarily expected. And they're going to try and play that very defensive 3-4-3 and try and hit Man City on the counter. They're very dynamic in the attack. You'll see a lot of overlapping runs, etc., from the rest of their midfield and from their wingers. So... Paulinho's in very good form as well, their striker. So it's it's not going to be... I don't think that they'll get rolled by Manchester City. It depends on what kind of Manchester City you get and what Guardiola is going to start doing with his lineup. If he's going to just play you know, the strongest lineup or if he's going to do that Guardiola thing where he tries and experiments and tinkers a little bit and plays to the opponent's tactics as opposed to just playing their own game. But I don't know. I can't really see Sporting getting out on the other side of this. And I think that it would be a massive, massive, massive story if they do. And you could basically guarantee that Ruben Abedin will be gone by the summertime. Yeah, I think Ruben, I mean, Ruben Marine is such a hot commodity, isn't he? Um, so many, so many clubs um, around Europe looking at him. I, I'm looking forward to this fixture because um, Pep, has always been someone who has done really well uh, in the league formats, but still hasn't won this trophy. And I think this is the one that he kind of needs to win this year, right, Josh? It, it is because, I mean, when Guardiola came to City, I mean, as, as glamorous as the Premier League is and all those league Carabao Cup trophies that he's won, this was the big one. This was the one that he's supposed to come in here and and, and complete. I mean, we obviously saw him do it at Barca. He went over to Bayern where he was expected to do it. He failed there. So I think he has a chip on his shoulder and he's he's been with the City group for a long time. And you can tell just by the way that they're strolling over the Premier League this season that that he, he's got them playing a special type of football without a natural number nine. But he slipped up in some pretty, pretty severe matches in the past three, four seasons. I know just off the top of my head, I know he lost to, to Lyon. And now I'm starting to slip, but I know that there's a couple other upsets that he lost in there. I'm sure one of you guys can jump in, but it, it seems like he had the opportunity to to push on. He, ma- he obviously made it to that final last year, and he just hasn't been able to get it over the line. I feel like this is his opportunity, and going up against Sporting with absolutely no disrespect to them because I saw them dismantle my uh, my beloved Borussia Dortmund. They're a good, talented young squad, and if they don't show up, if they don't come into the match, or if they think that they can just stroll over it because that's just kind of what they've been doing this season, I think it's a wake-up call because they've absolutely been showed in the past that any underdog can take them on, and I don't think this sporting team is any less talented than that Leon team that beat them a few seasons ago. Yeah, they're a good side. Um, Adrian, you have any final thoughts on this too? Oh, I was just going to uh, be the little fact checker guy, not fact checker, but add to what Josh was saying that the other teams that Pep Guardiola has gone out against have been Tottenham, um, as well as, you know, they had that quarterfinal against Liverpool back in 2018, which was a little bit contentious, but going out against Tottenham, going out against Lyon, and then of course losing the final against Chelsea when he made that, that bizarre decision to play Gundogan in a bit of a p- different position than he's used to. 
yeah, I think that Pep Guardiola absolutely has something to prove in this competition, as as Josh highlighted. And uh, I can't really see him. You know, it would be a massive, massive surprise if he was to do another sort of experimentation because against Lyon, I believe it was, he played with a back three in the second leg, or that might have been single match elimination that year because that was during the COVID year. Um, it was. Yeah, so he he made the bizarre decision to play with a back three, I believe, in that match, which is just not something that City are used to, and they paid for it. So if he does that kind of thing against Sporting, Sporting is that kind of side, like Josh was alluding to, that is very talented and is very well coached. That could burn them for it. But as long as he sticks to his guns, I think that City will make it through. Yeah, and I just want to just quickly jump in and say that was the game I was thinking of where uh, a big criticism of Guardiola is that he overthinks matches that he should just go in being very straightforward, usually against the underdog. And I believe in that that match, he played uh, Gabriel Jesus as a wingback. So that just kind of shows the mindset that Guardiola was going into and obviously got upset by Leon. One thing I'm wondering, though, I've talked about this in the past with some people. I had a discussion with this and many didn't agree. Does Pep Guardiola overthink? Or does he always want to win a game, giving a little bit of his touch, right? Sometimes he can just win the game by doing the basic of his team, not really trying to change anything and just going with the basics. But then he tries to do that little thing that's a little bit way out of the norm for that team, and it kind of slips away from him, right? We saw it in the Champions League final two against Chelsea, saw against Leon, and who knows against Sporting. Obviously, sometimes it might just work regardless because Manchester City is so much more talented. But do you think he overthinks or do you think he just wants just wants all that credit? I, I think it's a that's a good debate. And it's a debate I've I've heard a few different um content creators as well as as analysts actually talk about. And it, it's funny that that you say that. And the I guess I kind of agree. I can't remember exactly who talked about it, but he said something similar along the lines like Pep wants to wants to be the guy to, to do it his way. So he wants to go into things and he overanalyzes and he tries to come up with all these crazy solutions. And if he would just stick to the game plan to stick with what he's been doing, what's been so successful, a lot of these issues he creates for himself. So I I feel like he's just feeling the pressure. And this is the expectations. It's been an expectation since he left Barca. This is he left Barca, I believe. And again, might mean Adrian to fact check me. It was it was early in the in the 2010, like 2010, 11 or whatever it may have been. Then he went to Barca and then City. That's a lot of years he's went without a Champions League when he was expected pretty much to win it each and every season with Bayern, with City. And I feel like when he comes to game time, he's just feeling that pressure. He's like, I can't let this slip again. I need to do something miraculous. And when he makes these type of decisions, that ultimately is what ends up shooting him in the foot and the reason City has crashed out. Yeah, and that's not just at City. At Bayern Munich, remember he had the most talented team in the world to his disposal, a team that won the treble from the year before he took over. And um, he miscoached um, a couple of semifinals. Um, and Marty Peraneo, the journalist who wrote Pep, Guardiola, Pep Confidential, the book about his first year at Bayern, um, kind of outlined how he overthought many of those games. And I think he tinkers too much. It's interesting how that in normal league games, he just like uses his best formation. But when it comes to big matches, he almost overthinks it. Um, and that happens. I mean, there's some managers are like that. And I think uh, once he once he learns that he just has to do his normal thing, um, he, his club will go through. And I think it's only a matter of time for City to win win a Champions League trophy just because of how much money and resources they have. I mean, they... they 
they're the richest club in the world and um it's just the way that they are dominating the premier league you know um it's just going to be a matter of time hoops fans the latest offer from DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba is too good to pass up i'm talking between the legs 360 windmill good New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Void were prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, 467-369. Um, some of who never overthink us is Carlo Ancelotti, the master of winning the Champions League. Uh, in my opinion, no coach does it better. He's back at Real Madrid. Of course, Real Madrid are <laughs> extremely consistent in, in La Liga as well. And um, I'm going to ask the question here for Real Madrid. Is this the team that no one talks about, but at the end of the year is going to win the title? What do you think, Adrian? Potentially, yeah. Because Carlo Ancelotti is that guy that takes a really decent team and makes them even better. Um, and I think that the biggest sort of caveat to this is how much of a reliance they have on Kareem Benzema in the attack. If Benzema returns from injury and he's fine against PSG for the first leg because it is touch and go and he stays healthy for the rest of the season, then that attack of, you know, Vinicius, Benzema, and then put whoever else you want on the right, whether it's Hazard, Rodrigo, whoever, Asensio, it's stunning. And you, they've proven this this season, how good they can be together. But without Benzema so far, there's been four matches since he got his injury and they've won one, drawn two and lost one, I believe is their record. So I think that Benzema really is sort of holding it all together for them in the attack. But as far as the credentials is to go ahead and win things, I mean, Carlo Ancelotti certainly does have them in the Champions League. He's excellent in the Champions League. And Real Madrid as a club are excellent in the Champions League. And they still have that core, that very experienced core in the midfield with your Modric, your Kroos, your Casemiro. Um, they have David Alaba now at the back and Benzema in the attack. You know, it's it's really difficult to see them going out at this stage. But like I said, if Benzema isn't there based on recent form, I mean, they had Gareth Bale sort of playing as a striker type role this weekend against Villarreal. And while he was okay, he hadn't played since August and you just can't rely on him to be there consistently and to perform. So if Benzema's there, I have a lot of faith in Real Madrid going all the way. If he gets another injury at some point, I don't know if I have that much confidence in them. Yeah, Filippo, um, what's the latest on Neymar? And is this the sort of game that PSG bought Lionel Messi for? Yeah, it looks like Neymar is available. 
but it also looks like he won't start. So at least not the first leg. Probably will start the second leg. It's going to be interesting to see in regards to this Neymar-Vinicius matchup right here because I've been talking about how by the time the World Cup comes, as big as Neymar is in Brazil and as big of a talent he is, Vinicius Jr. might be a better player during that World Cup, might be in better form. The way things are going, Neymar keeps declining every month that goes by these silly injuries and Vinicius just exploded this season and it looks better every single game. Now, yeah, this is... These are the games that you need Messi at his best, right? Because this is a player that can pull off one or two goals per game right there. And that can be essentially the difference maker to getting them through. But on the other hand, the Real Madrid players right there, the midfield that Adrian mentioned of Casemiro, they all know Messi pretty well. PSG is going to need a lot more than Messi to go through Real Madrid. This is a very experienced Real Madrid team that has been surprising many this season. A mix with like experienced players and young talent. Personally, I think this is where the road ends for PSG, that, at least for this season in the, the Champions League. I don't think also Messi is the Messi he once was, right? How old is Messi right now? 34, 33, or 35? I don't know. I'm sorry with the exact number. So I actually think this is where it ends. Yes, these are the games you need Messi, but it's not like Real Madrid doesn't know the player by now. These, these guys have had so many legendary battles with Messi in the past decade. They, they know how to deal with Messi. Even though, I'll give you one thing. There's only so much you can do with an informed Messi. Mm, he's 34, of course. Uh, just to fact check that. Um, Josh, Mbappe's game against his future club, what do you think? And what's your thoughts on this matchup? Uh, I, I'm torn. I, I was asking you guys, I and mean, we've been doing a lot of fact checking today, and, and I like that. But I, before I asked specifically about Benzema, and it, it's, I guess it's an unknown whether he's going to start the first leg, but he's so important to this team. I just have so much love for Carlo Ancelotti because when they were looking to bring in a new manager after the legendary Zidane and what he's done with this this team, they almost it's like, all right, what's a manager we can bring in? And he's just going to be fine, and he's not going to bitch. He's just going to take this club and try to turn them into something. And they had a lot of movement with obviously legends like like I mean Zidane, Ramos, and Varane leaving. They brought in, I, I mean. I guess Alaba was supposed to be that big replacement. Alaba's been pretty decent for them as well with Eder Militao. And then he's just basically transformed Benzema into this unbelievable player this season. The stats he's having in the Liga are phenomenal. And then like we've been talking on, on this podcast for a while, Vinny Jr. has been sensational. And these players have kind of stepped up and they've, they've bought into what Ancelotti's doing. And they're a really fun team to watch. But without Benzema, and it's even like, and if I was Luka Luke Jovic, who's the natural backup striker, I would be feeling pretty... Uh, Pretty underwhelming right now, considering that they're putting in Gareth Bale to play as striker, a, a, a the, the golfing expert in Gareth Bale, the, the crazy man that he is. He's somehow gotten brought back, put in as a striker when Luka Jovic, who's kind of performed a little bit for Madrid this year, it's just very telling. So, and on the flip side of that, without Benzema, I think that they'd be in big trouble. But that PSG team is interesting. Like we talked about a lot, they're very up and down. They have so much talent up front. Mbappe, whether Neymar plays or not, Messi. Icardi and Wanda, you know how it is. They're going to be an interesting team. I'm going to put my money on PSG just because I I have real doubts on what's going to happen if Benzema doesn't start. I feel like if he doesn't, they're going to be able to take advantage of that, get enough out of the first leg to kill it out. But these are the moments why Messi came here. These are the moments why Neymar's come here. This is why they're trying to tie down Mbappe. They want this trophy just as much as City does. It's the battle of the oil money. We're just going to see where the chips fall. Of course, we're going to do predictions in the end. But um, yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to this fixture. Um, I'm also looking forward to this next one. 
Salzburg against Bayern Munich, um, a derby in some ways. It's two cities that are very close to one another. Um, two cities that, um, of course, are close to my heart because like some of my family was born in Salzburg. Some of my family is from Munich. Um, two very, very close cities. And um, the good news, of course, is that Austria has gone back to full capacity. So this is going to be sold out, 30,000 people. Um, Salzburg have been very good. I, I saw the highlights from the game uh, against Rapid Vienna on the weekend with Brendan Aronson scoring. And uh, Brendan is still there. Um, as I predicted, he wouldn't be going anywhere in the winter because of this game, of course. Karim Adeyemi is still there. Josh, I think probably going to... Can hear your ears like perking up when when I say that name because he's probably heading to your side. Um, so you're going to be watching this because there's two players involved that are going to be the Do in Dortmund next year, Sule and Adeyemi. Um, there's a lot of turmoil at Bayern Munich right now. With Sule, of course, gone. And then just days after that big announcement that Dortmund have poached a player from Bayern. I mean, that's crazy. When is that ever going to happen again? And then getting smashed by Bochum. And I mean that really. They got smashed in the first 45 minutes. They got absolutely torn apart by VfL Bochum. Um, if you are Salzburg, Josh, you're probably looking at this and say, hmm, we got a chance here. Yeah, I mean, it's been a, a while. I haven't seen this Bayern side in years kind of been hit like the way they did or have a week quite like the way that they did. And and yes, I'm definitely going to be watching the match. It's, for me, it's Sula versus Adeyemi, you know, who's who's going to shine when they, uh, when they join Dortmund next year. But... I mean, in all honesty, this Salzburg side is exciting. I know how much this club means to you, and you've spoken so highly of them and, and the incredible rise that they've been on. This is their first ever Champions League knockout fixture. They're taking on their their neighbors, which I, I think is going to be pretty special, and they're taking on their fragile neighbors. And if they're looking at that back four and watching Balkan tear them apart, there's no reason why Salzburg can't think, all right, we can do the same thing. They're vulnerable at the back. They they can just fall apart. Upa Makano has been having a really tough season this year. There's a lot of hype for him coming into that side, obviously playing under Nagelsmann. He was expected to to shine and, and really step up when in the absence of Alaba, and he really hasn't. And now with Sula going out, it's going to be an interesting one. But on the flip side of that, it's it's still Bayern. I mean, even losing 4-2 to Balkan, Lewandowski found the back of the net twice. They will create chances. I think it's going to be a battle of of the, the back fours and see who's going to be a little bit more fragile because We've seen Salzburg give up a, a ton of goals as well, and and I, I'm I'm pretty excited to see the way that this one goes, and I'll definitely be keeping a key eye on both Adeyemi and Sula because I do think that both will have a decent part to play if their side is to advance. Bayern, of course, did a major, major gamble with allowing Neuer to do his meniscus surgery, right? And um, something that I pointed out on the Gegen Pressing podcast this week, that Although Sven Ulreich was not at fault for any of the goals, that Bayern defense just plays very different when there is no Neuer behind them because all of a sudden they have to stand a little bit deeper because there is no goalkeeper that covers as much space as Neuer does in that defensive third, right? And um, you notice how much Neuer does in a back line um, when he's not there. And I think against Bochum, you saw it because all of a sudden, Sule and Upamecano had to drop a little bit deeper. And uh, Bochum made very good use of them being a bit deeper, giving them a bit more space to actually develop speed in the final third and run at them. And I thought that was really interesting. And now, of course, Fonzi is missing as well still, although we're getting some good news and it looks like his recovery is, in, is on the right track. Um, 
But yeah, I thought it was really interesting. And it looks like Nagelsmann is going to bring in Tuliso to play next to Kimmich because Goretzka is, of course, out too. And that, that, that double pivot with Goretzka and Kimmich is extremely, extremely strong in midfield. And so I think um, with Tuliso coming back, he's trying to anchor it a little bit more. Um, as for Salzburg, I think, you know, with with Brandon Aarons and Adeyemi and all the other attacking players that they have, I think they're really looking forward to this game. Um, because for them, of course, they, they're going to, to spot the fact that Bayern are a little bit vulnerable in defense and they play such a high-press attacking game. And I think that's going to really suit them. What do you think, Filippo? Well, I think it's their chance to make history also, right? For Salzburg, it's the first time they make it to the round of 16 of the Champions League. And they're kind of going into this game with not much to lose, if you think about it, right? If they lose to Bayern, it's something more than expected. So only Bayern can lose out of this one. And it's what you said. Bayern's not at their best right now. We saw that over the weekend when they lost to Bohem pretty badly. So, I mean, anything can happen in soccer. We've seen that. The, the fact that it's two legs, I find it difficult for Bayern not to make it at the end of the day when push comes to shove. If it was one game, I could see this going Salzburg's way. But you never know. And the Salzburg players are most certainly excited with this opportunity to defeat the German Giants. Yeah, and they really, I mean, they made an effort to keep them all together, right? No sales this winter. Um, I think that shows you quite a bit on how important this game is for Salzburg because when you look at the history of the two cities, Salzburg used to be the big brother and then Munich became the big brother of the two cities. And, um, you know, Salzburg is kind of in the shadow of Munich in a lot of ways. So it's uh, for them, it's a huge opportunity. Also, and we need to point this out, we haven't pointed it out yet, no more away goal rule. Uh, that's gone. So um, you can go through by just straight up. You don't need to worry about away goals. And I think if you're Salzburg, you say, hey, we can win this game 5-2, 5-3. We can go all out and attack here and not really worry about Bayern scoring one or two goals because in the end of the day, it won't matter in the return leg. And I think that's a big factor. I think it's going to be a big factor for all these games. It's probably going to be a big factor in this next one, guys. Inter Milan against Liverpool. Um, for some reason, I think this could be a really, really big obstacle for Inter. What do you uh, for Liverpool? What do you think, Adrian? Yeah, it has the potential for that because you know Simone Inzaghi has shown that he's a very tactically astute manager with Inter this season. They have had a bit of a bobble recently. Um, they haven't been at their best. They haven't been playing their best football, but they've still been getting pretty decent results. But, you know, that 3-5-2, they defend incredibly well. They have really talented defenders, Skriniar, De Vries. Uh, unfortunately, Bastoni looks like he's out for a while, I believe. I, I'll need someone to fact check me on that. But I, I did see that he got uh, what looked like a knee injury in a recent match. Not the last one against Napoli. I believe it was against AS Roma in that 2-0 win. Um, but yeah, that's that's a huge loss for them as far as both defensive solidity and of course his uh, his distribution from the back because he has that incredible left foot where he can he is capable of playing a curling through ball in behind the defense that kind of thing so that is a loss for them um but I look at Liverpool's attack, and yes, they did labor a little bit against Burnley, but you look at that attack of whether it's Sadio Mane or Jota or Firmino or Salah or Luis Diaz, who had a great full debut against Leicester recently, and it just feels like this Liverpool side might just have a little bit too much for Inter Milan, if you're asking me. Um, 
They did, like I said, struggle against Burnley a little bit, but Burnley's been on a little bit of a hot streak recently. You know, they held Manchester United, though that's a completely different conversation. Um, and they also made it really difficult for Liverpool as well. So I'm looking forward to this one p- myself because I think that this one has the most... It has a bit of a it's it's harder to call I guess similarly to that PSG versus Real Madrid but this one with the attack of Liverpool versus that defensive solidity of Inter Milan and you know Simone Inzaghi he has shown that when he gets things wrong tactically from the beginning he makes these little adjustments throughout the match in order to correct them he does have some issues I think with game management with the substitutions that he makes often his team starts to decline um, but. Yeah, this is a tough one. I'm I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, and I think that Luis Diaz could play a really big role in this just because what we've seen from him so far, it was such a natural fit. I don't know if anyone else saw a couple of matches that he played. He came on against Cardiff, I believe it was, as a substitute and got an assist that was stolen from him from Diogo Jota. <laughs> and then uh, he also had that great debut against Leicester City. So I'm looking forward to it. Lots of shiny new toys for Liverpool. What do you think, Filippo? Um, Diaz? How is he going to fit into this? And how big of a difference is he going to make in this fixture? Personally, I haven't been following both of those teams enough to give an insight like Adrian. But what I can say about Luis Diaz is I saw that guy slice and dice and give Brazil a lot of trouble in the Copa America. Now, he plays at the wing, and I don't think Liverpool has an issue on the wing, right? They have the two best African wingers, and debatably, Salah might even be one of the best wing. Well, they are one of the best wingers in the world, Mo Salah and Sadio Mane. So Diaz would probably just be a sub right there, just be a backup to come in. Um, that's all I have to say about it. I honestly haven't been following enough of them. Uh, I think it's a matchup that's 50-50 in that sense. The current best team in Italy, Inter Milan, versus technically the second best team in England right now. But Liverpool's not a joke team. And they've always make these punctual signings, right? Klopp is very smart of who he signs, and that's how he built this Liverpool team. So when he signed Luis Diaz, he knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, Klopp um, is the master of that, and this is this is a piece that they really needed. And um, an exciting player. I'm really curious to see how he's going to fit. And I think this is going to be a fascinating fixture. Josh, do you have any final thoughts on this one? I do. I the. The, the one thing I want to take a look at just uh, about Inter is, I mean, one, they've had an atrocious run in Europe besides that Europa League that they made it to the finals. And then, I mean, they were huge favorites and they, they lost to Sevilla, but they've really struggled getting out of the group and doing anything in Europe. So I, I don't think that is something that we should forget because Liverpool know how to go deep in this competition. They've won it recently. I would personally trust Klopp more than than this Inter side and Zaghi. On top of that, if you look at the recent fixtures leading up to this match, Inter's had a very tough go at it. They had to take on Milan. They had to take on Roma. They had to take on Napoli. They only won one of those three. And then now they have to take on Liverpool. So I don't know exactly how the legs are going to be on these guys. Obviously, a lot of rotation was needed. I personally think that Inter needs to get a win. I think if they can only manage to draw at home, which I think is likely, my, my prediction would be one nothing Liverpool. But I, I don't think they're, they can pull off at Anfield. So I think the first leg is going to be very telling because if they can't get that win or, and, and be able to find a way to to attack the second leg, I think Liverpool is going to take them down. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're trying to save up for this match. But it, it's been a really, I mean, four very, very tough games for this Inter side. Yeah, I am personally very fascinated. I'm really looking forward to seeing how the no away goal rule is going to impact all of this. I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, are teams are going to sit back now, destroy the away game, or are they not going to care? Are they going to go full on attack because you know it doesn't matter anymore? 
it's, it's going to be interesting. I think this is going to be a great experiment and uh, it would be fascinating to see. Okay, so guys, we previewed all the games. Um, I'm going to go through it again and just ask who's going to go through with each of the fixtures. And um, let's go with Sporting Man City first. I'm going to go make it easy. I'm going to say Man City. What do you think, Filippo? Yeah, I'm going with Man City as well. I think even if Pep Guardiola overthinks or tries to become the superstar and try to make some crazy changes, I think Manchester City has enough talent to just out-talent Sporting. I don't think it'll be easy. I don't think it'll be easy, but they'll go through. Mm. Adrian? Yeah, I'll go with uh, Man City as well. Short and sweet. Man City for this one. Josh? Yeah, no surprises here. Man City, and I, I think they'll do it in a relatively convincing fashion. Right. Okay, the next one, PSG against Real Madrid. I'm going with Real Madrid simply because I think Carlo Ancelotti has his house in order a bit more than PSG do. Uh, what do you think, Filippo? Yeah, I'm going for Real Madrid as well. Real Madrid is a team right now. Uh, PSG is uh, a bunch of individual, a bunch of very talented individuals together. Like you said, he has the house in order. I'm going for Real Madrid for this one. Mm-hmm. Adrian? I'm banking on Benzema coming back and making a huge difference. And also, as we sort of said, PSG is just so streaky under Pochettino. They can't seem to be, get any sort of consistency. Messi, Messi sorry, is an X factor, but I think that Real Madrid will still go through with Benzema. Josh? I couldn't tell if Adrian was trolling there and he said, like, did he say Pessi? Was he trying to say penalty? Anyways. <laughs> Mexi, um, Mexi. I, I said Mexi. <laughs> wasn't sure if he was, he was tossing daggers, but no, uh, I'm, I'll, I'll go for PSG. Like, like I said, I'm going to, I guess, bank on the fact, not that I don't want Benzema to come back, but I mean, if he isn't able to come back at full effect, I think that's really going to affect this Madrid side. I also think potentially the league standings might have an, an input. Not that, not that Madrid aren't in decent safety, but I think Sevilla, a couple of them will be sniffing around. There's always that eye on, on the league. It's something that matters pretty pretty deeply a little i'd say it matters a little bit more in spain than it would in france and i think that they're just going to find a way i think the firepower is going to turn up when it's need be and uh psg will find a way right all right um salzburg against bayern munich i say bayern munich um i think the first leg is going to be difficult for them though i think they're going to have to stage a comeback in march when the game goes to the Allianz arena um, I still think Bayern Munich will go through, but I think Salzburg is going to make it more interesting than a lot of people think. Uh, what do you think, Filippo? I think Bayern will go through. And I know Bayern's not going through their best moment right now. And I think Bayern would be in trouble. They wouldn't necessarily have to face... Like if they were facing right now Real Madrid, Manchester City, they would be in massive trouble, right? Because it's a team that can match their talent and looks more in order. But I think if they were playing, for example, Ajax, this would already be a nightmare matchup to get when you're not in the best form. Mm. But I think the gap between them and Salzburg is enough that Bayern, in two games, right, two legs, makes a big difference here, that Bayern will pull for the, through this one. It'll be a lot harder than it should be. Bayern should be able to beat them with some ease. Like we saw last season, right, in the group stage, I think it was like 6-2 when Jesse Marsh was still in charge of Salzburg. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Bayern. Adrian? I am going to go with Bayern as well, simply because I think that they can outscore Salzburg potentially. And I didn't jump in earlier, but what you said about Manuel Neuer and the ground he covers, just to add to that, having Sven Ulrich back there as well, it's just, it's an added 
thing that the defense has to think about. Do I go for this ball or do I allow the keeper to get it? And those moments of indecision can really affect the defense as well as just their confidence in their keeper. I mean, we saw at Liverpool, the difference between Loris Karius in goal and with, you know, Van Dyke, et cetera, in front of him, and then Allison in goal with Van Dyke, et cetera, in front of them and how much better they played as a defensive unit. So I think it will be a bit touch and go for Bayern at times, but they'll ultimately outscore them. Yeah. Josh? Yeah, that's a really good point Adrian made. In my opinion, I don't think there's a a more confident keeper. If you just look at the mannerisms around Manuel Neuer, he just knows what he he wants to do. He plays a specific type of way. He makes it easier on that back four. Sometimes he gets himself in trouble, but like most keepers that like to to do what he does, that that that's that's going to happen. I'm expecting goals. I'm going to say honestly, I'm I'm expecting a 4-2 win for Bayern in both legs. So, Bayern, but it'll be high scoring and it'll be entertaining. All right. Um the final one, Inter Milan against Liverpool. And this is going to be hard. Um, I suspect that the Italians are pretty happy about the no-away goal rule. And they are going to sneak through somehow Inter Milan. What do you think, Filippo? <laughs> I'm going to pick the same as you again. I actually think Inter Milan will somehow pull through. I think Liverpool is a better team overall yeah. and more well-coached. But I think the Italians are going to find a way this time. I don't know how far Inter Milan can go, but I think they're going to go through this one. Yeah, Adrian? I mean, I could see that happening, sort of a similar situation to what happened to Liverpool against Atletico a couple of years ago. But I, I just think that this Liverpool side is playing some great football. I think that their defense is very good recently, as well as their attack. I just think it's far too potent. And, you know, with Luis Diaz getting more comfortable with the side, I think that he's going to make a really big difference. I got to say, I bring him up a lot because I was sort of admiring him from afar through gritted teeth while he was at FC Porto. And I just have so much belief in him and what he's done this season. I think that he will be a difference maker in that second leg, especially. Josh. Yeah, like like I said, I just I just don't I want Inter if I had to pick like personally I, I hope Inter goes through. I just don't see a way that they they can. I don't, I don't think they have what it takes in Europe this season. I think they're probably a little bit focused on the league. They're still going deep in the uh, Coppa Italia. And I I again I, I threw a prediction. I'll say two one nothing wins for Liverpool. I think it'll be tight. I think it'll be interesting. But I think Liverpool just has a little bit more what it takes to get it done. I think this is the most difficult one to predict. You guys agree with that? I think this is just. Very hard to predict that last fixture. Yeah, it's, I'd say so. I'd say it's it's difficult just because both are, are playing well. Both are near yeah. the top of the table in the respective uh, leagues. Both are, I think, pretty fun to watch. I've really enjoyed watching Inter this season, especially because of all the question marks with all the big name players and the manager. It's not always easy to replace Antonio Conte, but I think they were strategic in the way that they got Inzaghi in because he played that very similar system at Lazio. And he's he's achieving, and I I really want to see them go deep because it's been a while since Inter's been able to do much in the Champions League. But uh, it'll, it'll be an interesting one, and I'm I'm gonna keep a special eye on it. All right. So before we wrap this up, I want to just point out that there's also the Concacaf Champions League this week, and um, we got interesting fixtures. Um, I personally like the Concacaf Champions League. Actually, I think it's a competition that doesn't get enough attention. It's getting reformed too, and I think that will make it a lot more interesting. And when we get closer to that, we'll definitely preview this. Um, but Josh, are you going um, Forge, first Canadian Premier League team in history to play in the Concacaf Champions League? And they're getting a big one in Cruz Azul. Um, that game is, of course, on Wednesday, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Uh, Western. Um, are you going to this game? 
I am not. I've completely forgot. It, I for some reason thought that there was a second leg. So, I mean, it again, they play at Tim Hortons Field, so it, I don't think it'd be very hard to get tickets. I'm not sure what the COVID capacity would be, but fifty percent, fifty percent. So yeah. I mean, they're they're not going to fill. They're not going to fill it, but um, it, it'd be interesting. It's really exciting to see a CPL team make it in the very short CPL history that a team is already in the Concacaf Champions League taking on a Mexican giant like Cruz Azul. I would really like to go to it. I'm gonna probably look into it a little bit because like i said i mean there's no way they're going to fill up the 25,000 not going to be able to fill half of that so I, I think it'd be relatively easy but i think it's a cool moment for uh the cpl i think it'll be an interesting one and i think it'll really give a perspective of where the quality is in the cpl because i have mm. no idea exactly how this game is going to go obviously the heavy heavy favorites is cruz azul but this sports team is very well coached they got some special players in there and, and I'm, I'm really excited for this one yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Of course, going to watch. I always watch the CONCACAF Champions League. I think it's really unique because you get these like really professional MLS and Liga MX game teams in it. And then you get like a team from Haiti or, um, you know, Costa Rica or like, you know, Costa Rica is not fair, but someone from one of the smaller countries in, in Central America and uh, or from the Caribbean. And you just like, whoa, who, who are those guys? And so it has, still has that mystique that, uh, European competitions used to have when I grew up, you know, because you couldn't just Google a team and fi- find out who they are. Um, so I'm always really looking forward to this one. Um, Adrian Montreal, of course, playing Santos Laguna, another heavyweight. Um, first leg in Mexico, uh, second leg in Montreal. Are you going to the game? Should be a big one. Should be an interesting one. I intend to go to that game. Yeah, I'm going to be flying back from Calgary on the 21st. Um, but I, I intend on going because they're playing at the Olympic Stadium. I would assume I cannot see them playing at Saputo. It is imp- it has to be impossible here uh, cool. to play. Yeah, <laughs> pretty impossible <laughs> to play on that pitch right now. Um, and those games in the Olympic Stadium are always really, really fun. I have a lot of really good memories of the CONCACAF Champions League with that run that Montreal had back in, I believe, 2015 it was with Frank Kloppas right. as the coach just like a strange strange team that we had back then but they somehow made it all the way to the final so I have a lot of really good memories of that competition and uh, it's always fun seeing the Mexican teams because there's a big uh, Latin community in Montreal and so the stadium is always banging I don't know what sort of the capacity limits are right now they just opened up sports venues so I have no idea if it's 30% or what but regardless I intend on going to that one and it uh, it should be fun because I like what I saw under under Wilfred Nancy last season made some improvements of course to the squad so it should be interesting and uh, Filippo before we wrap this up any game that you're going to keep an eye on um, of course we've now highlighted the two Canadian clubs in it but any game that you're going to keep an eye on well I usually try to track how the MLS clubs will do uh, mostly when they face Liga MXE, which will be in later rounds, right? There's no Liga MXE versus MLS matchup for this round. They're it is. Montreal. Where is it? Oh, Montreal and Santos Laguna. Sorry, yes. Yeah. Montreal and Santos Laguna will play. Besides that, no other ones are. I kind of like to do that and see how MLS is catching up or trying to match up with Liga MXE, which we're clearly closer than we ever were. And LAFC making the final two seasons ago. But we're not there yet, and we saw that last year. So I'm looking forward to that. And MLS is improving every year. And CONCACAF Champions League is improving, expanding. And hopefully, eventually, it becomes a very meaningful and watched tournament here in CONCACAF. Hopefully. It's not there yet. 
No, it's not. And I mean, the reform, of course, the next year is that um, the MLS teams and Liga MX teams are going to play their own tournament to determine the entries of to the CONCACAF Champions League. And right in the tournament, the CONCACAF Champions League is then going to be uh, at extremely increased by size um, with two Canadian Premier League teams getting an automatic entry, the Canadian Championship team getting an entry, and Canadian teams then also being able to qualify via MLS. Um, the one last thing to maybe note is Cavalry against New, New England. No, this is not Cavalry from Canada. It's Cavalry from Haiti. Um, some issues with travel. Um, the last little bit of COVID hiccups that we're getting from around the world, they're having some issues with travel and that game has been postponed. Um but yeah, I, I love this competition. I always find it very unique. In Canada, you can watch it all in one soccer. I think in the US, Filippo, it's kind of all over the place. Um, I think some of the Mexican television stations carry it, right? Uh, ESPN carries it and so on. Um, but yeah, give this, give, this, give this competition some love because you're going to see teams that you will never see again. And it's very exotic. And um, every once in a while, you get a really cool story like Montreal's run to the final out of nowhere. Um, so, yeah, kind of just want to point that out. And, yeah, those games start tomorrow, 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, Santos de Goebbelis against New York City and then Santos Laguna against Montreal. And, yeah, give, check it out. It's fun times. Anyways, guys, that's it. That's uh, the big Champions League preview from, from this week and the recap of the uh, Club World Cup. Um, we'll be back at the end of the week to, of course, recap the Champions League results. Um, really looking forward to that. All right. Anyways, guys, until then, cheers and bye-bye. Bye. -bye.